You know, the idea that, that I, I want to, or the point that I want to make this morning is that, um, especially as we launch in the series, um, looking at some of the famous Christmas carols that we sing, you know, during the Advent season, during Christmas time, is the fact that music moves us. I mean, whether it's a new rhythm or a beat that inspires us to tap our toe or, or something that fills our heart with joy, certainly the Christmas carol or the hymns that we sing sometimes wells up in us deep emotion because, you know, of past experiences or time that we spent with our family or maybe even, you know, uh, church services that we've been a, a part of. And maybe it's the poetry of the, the words or maybe the perfect synchronization of the many parts that are bringing together the sweet story of Christmas that resonates with their soul and makes music so special during this time. The fact is, music can make you happy. Music can make you dance. Music can fix your feelings sometimes. The fact is that music moves us. And this year in Advent, we're going to discover the truth, the message, and maybe even some secrets behind some of the most popular Christmas carols of the season. So what I want you to do is jump in, put your seatbelt on, and let's just kind of go for it. We're going to look at several carols together in the next few Sundays. And so the first one for this Sunday that I want to present to you is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We all know that. Amen? And uh, it's a popular Christmas carol that we sing during the holidays. And, and as I begin to do some research, I learned that it was first written in Latin. Believe that, Latin in, in 1701. It wasn't then really presented um, on a more popular level until about uh, 1861, uh, where a man by the name of John, uh, John Mason Neal uh, presented a rendition that was printed in Hymns Ancient and Modern Hymn Book. It became to uh, prominence or really hegemony by uh, 19 or excuse me, 1895. In fact, by 1895, it was being sung by two thirds of the English speaking congregations in the world. Now, what I want to do is just really kind of establish the scripture, the passage that this old Christmas carol is based upon. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1, looking at verse 23. If you have God's word, you can turn there, or we can look at the, the screen here uh, in front of you there. We look at Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, looking at verse 23. So this is based on, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call him, or they shall call his name, Emmanuel. Now, let's jump into verse 1. In fact, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 of, of the chorus of the Christmas carol um, and then kind of build on that. But let's begin with the first verse of the carol. And just listen to the words and allow them to wash over you as we, we read this carol together. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. So there are those that are needing, those that are, that are lost, those that, that are searching for the answer, and, and, and they mourn in lonely exile as, as they are in exile, and they're looking for God's help in life, until the Son of God appears. And then, of course, the refrain begins at that point, and then we go into verse 2. Now, What's neat, I mean, what I really like about verse 1 here is that it tells the ancient story. The ancient story of God's people that are waiting for the Messiah and waiting and praying for not only the first coming of Christ, which is the baby Jesus, but it's the second coming of Christ as well. And it is the waiting that the people of God are so familiar with. It's in a spirit of waiting that they're waiting in the desert for God and his deliverance in the promised land. 
They are waiting for salvation from the tyranny of this life and the heartache and the devastation and the destiny of hell. They are in the spirit of waiting, waiting for the answer to come to them. Again, we're just in the song here looking at verse 3 now. Look at verse 3. We can pull that up here. Um, O come thou rod of Jesse in the lineage and the blood of Jesse and in the line of the family that God has chosen and God's chosen people, thine own from Satan's tyranny. This is the Savior that's going to undo all that Satan has done. From depths of hell, thy people save and give them victory or the grave. And then the refrain again, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So what is the song saying? I mean, how does the song have relevance for us today? Well, first, it connects with us. It really does. I, I love the Christian writer John Piper in a publication called Desiring God. He writes about this as a song that voices really the church's yearning for the Messiah to come and consummate the redemptive history of mankind. And that's, per, that's important because there are voices that are yearning, yes, in our world today. There are voices that are yearning for the presence of God. There are voices that are hungry for, for something to, to fill the emptiness inside. There, there is this yearning that there is an answer in life. Something that is authentic. And something that is true. And of course the writer of this carol, this rendition, presents this reality to mankind. That there is a God that is connecting with us. In fact, Piper, he writes about it like this. John Piper, he writes it in this way. He says, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, talking about this carol. He says, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, we put ourselves in the shoes of Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, and all the pre-Christian saints. We ponder the promises. We strain to see the dawn of salvation. But we know that when it comes, the waiting will not be over. When Emmanuel arrives, it's not just the beginning of the story. In the ministry of the Messiah, it is the story that's unfolding like the great cells of the great ship. And it's the wind of the creator that's filling those cells and is drawing us into the presence of a a God and a creator that loves us. And it's not complete until the last blood drops. It's not complete until forgiveness is purchased. And it's not complete until adoption is secured. And the down payment of eternity will be in the bank because of what God has done. So yes, we look at the passage, we look at the song, and, and, and it does, it connects with us today. But the second thought here is that it it captures, I mean, think about it for a moment. It captures the longing of Christmas. Because in this life, death still snatches us away. Disease still makes us miserable. All we have to do is watch the TV for just a little bit and, and read a little bit of news or Google a little bit of news. And we see that disease is still, you know, running rampant in, in, in some other countries and even sometimes in our own country. He writes about the heartache that rumbles through our lives like the bulldozer of darkness. How sin dominates while yet waiting for the revealing of the revelation of the Lord. And you see, the point is that the Christmas hymn captures the plaintive mood of longing. It really does. Unlike like joy to the world or heart the herald sayings, you know, it's the, the, the victory that we sing about in those songs. And, and it's what we celebrate that there is victory in Christ. But the truth be told, the Christian life oscillates between two poles. One is the overflowing joy. Of course, those that know redemption and those that have the hopeful future. So there's this overflowing joy. But then on the other end, there is the tearful yearning. There is the mourning and the brokenness. 
and the loss that we experience in life sometimes. The Christmas carols capture both of these dimensions in life and and we recognize that because the rise and the fall of life and the victories in life and also the brokenness in life. You see, the the Christmas carol, it captures this thing that we oscillate between and, and, and those high points and those low points. And so we recognize we not only, you know, the song connects with us today, but it captures the longing of Christmas. And with that comes a moment of sorrowful joy. These are some real facts. Did you know about 3.7 million people will die during the Advent season this year worldwide? Did you know that? That half of those that pass will, will be children. In fact, if you do the math, I mean, think about it. That means 105 people every minute will pass. And so many of those without hope. And some because they're sick and, and some victims of crime or terrorism. Some, you know, maybe some other unknown reason, maybe old age or something like that. But yet it is something that touches on every Christian. It touches everyone. This, this, this passing, the, the sorrow that we experience in life. I, I, I will never forget, you know, my dearest childhood memories of a family that become some, became so very precious to us. They were kind of like godparents. They weren't really godparents, but, but, uh, their names are Becky and Byron Henry. They attend a Nazarene church in Baker City, Oregon. And they're people that my parents became, really became best friends with. And, and Byron, the, the father, uh, was uh, a man that just spent a lot of time with my dad. They just kind of hunted and did all kinds of things together. Um, in fact, they were the couple. They were the family that when my parents left town and they're on business, didn't want me to go along, uh, they would leave me with the Henrys. And I, so I got to spend time with the Henrys. They had a child that was two years younger than me, and they had a child that was four year, or no, two years older than me. So both two years younger and two years older. And I became very close to that family and close to their kids. Well, it wasn't but a few years later, after we'd become close with the family, that um, I became aware that they had had a son that was my age. And that that son had had a tragic, a terrible accident, I believe it was a a sliding glass door and a plate glass window, and he was cut. And and they lost his son. They lost, excuse me, they lost lost their son. Um, before that, I, I imagine this family as, as the most Christian, Christian family that you, you could know. I mean, they, they, they were filled with just tremendous joy and did not know they had lost a child. Well, after I learned that, I was just blown away because they really expressed the joy of the Lord in their life. And I'm trying to fit that together in my mind that, that here's the most joyful family that I, I've ever met, but yet they've had this, this deep sorrow in life that they've had to live with. And, and I, I look at this carol and it reminds me of the sorrowful joy, the sorrowful joy that we feel, we experience sometimes, even in the Christmas season. You see, it is by design that the season of Christmas wraps its arms around every sorrowful soul and the Christmas carols are written for the real world. You see, the idea is that sorrowful joy presses through the business and the frustration, the lack of money and, and even jealousy and the angst of, of the holidays that, that you know, is presented to us sometimes. Sorrowful joy pushes through all the humanity and, and the ugliness and the hurt and the loneliness. Sorrowful joy presses into that and through that and it carries us into even a better reality. 
Sorrowful joy embraces the reality of what we're talking about this morning, which is Emmanuel. We see in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8, that is God with us, a God who only God can pay the ransom that is needed. Sorrowful joy sees dayspring, another translation, at Christ's coming, meaning the dawn of God's kingdom, the light of the world. It's the light of the world. I mean, think of this. It is the light of the world that banishes the darkness. And in this passage or this carol, the writer is writing about that, that in the midst of the darkness of life, in the midst of the trials that you're going through, or, or even in the midst of trying to make ends meet and, and wrestle through the economy of, of finances in San Diego, in the midst of that, there is a light that, that shines, and it is a light, by the way, that we proclaim this morning that banishes the darkness. And I don't know what you're going through in life, but I know this, that if we were to say, well, what's the news about Christmas? We, we could say, yeah, Jesus, and it is. But the big news is that Jesus is the light, and he banishes the darkness. I love the story I read a, a little while ago about the Wright brothers. In 1903, the Wright brothers sent a telegram to their sister Catherine that said, we flew 120 feet. Our contraption flew 120 feet. And uh, we'll be home for Christmas, or home for Christmas. It was a telegram, and so they used as few words as possible. Home for Christmas. Well, Catherine took the telegram and wanted to get it into the paper because the paper was interested. In so she went to the editor of the paper, and she read the telegram to the editor, and, and, and she read... Our contraption, our flying machine, flew for 120 feet, be home for Christmas. And the editor's response, non-emotional response, simply was, how nice, they'll be home for Christmas. (laughs) He missed the point. He missed the point that man had flown. And I don't want to go through the Advent season this morning or in the weeks to come without getting the point. The big point is that the light shines. And that light banishes the darkness. I believe that. The light of Christ banishes the darkness. And I'm not sure what it is in your life that you're wrestling with. But I know this, that God's light shines brighter than any part of that darkness that you're going through. We're going to have the worship team come. And as they come, I want to invite you just to bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And I'm not sure what it is that you're wrestling with or what maybe that dark spot might be. Or what it is that's putting pressure on you right now in life. And maybe it's physical. Maybe it's, it's, uh, maybe it is a health issue. Maybe it's the economy of Christmas because Christmas reminds us how, maybe how little we have. <laughs> maybe for someone here this morning, the darkness is something that is more personal, more deep. Maybe it's something more intimate. And that darkness is what the enemy uses to really keep you down. And you're so weary and you're so tired of being down and you're believing right now, even as these, this beautiful family lit this candle this morning and this little light began to burn, this little flame in this sanctuary. You were reminded of the light that banishes the darkness. And this morning, the Lord wants to do that for you. God wants to banish the darkness in your life. He wants to banish the darkness in your heart, whatever that might be. And I want to invite you just to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and wash over you and allow that darkness to be pushed out as the light of Christ begins to shine. Yes, there is some contemplation in this Advent season. 
but also there's some anticipation that we are anticipating Lord anticipating for you to come and shine in our life precious father we just come before you we're humbled Lord and when you think about what you have done for us and how you became flesh so that we might have everlasting life and that in this reality Lord the darkness doesn't have to be that dark and for someone here today Lord that is just listening to you your voice they're feeling your spirit lift them right now I pray God that you just bless that one be with that teenager or that young person I pray for that mom and dad right now this morning that Lord is saying God I need your presence in my life because yes this has been a hard time and so Lord I pray that you would just over overshadow that that one individual just bless them father Pour your spirit into them and lift them and whatever it is they're going through. Allow your light to shine. Thank you, Father, for that. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And I don't know if the Lord is speaking to you right now. And you're just sensing that maybe God, his spirit is saying, you know what? I'm going to help you with this. I want want my light to shine in your life. I want to lift you this morning. And if you're praying that way, I just want to invite you just to respond to him in a quiet voice. There in your mind's eye, say, Lord. I hear your voice. I'm going to respond to you. I'm going to be obedient, God, because I know that you're speaking right now. So, Lord, I give this to you. I lay this down at your feet. I trust you with this, God, 100%. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that. Thank you, Lord, for allowing your light to shine in our lives, to burn brightly in our heart, to push out the darkness, Lord. We just we need that in our life this morning. Father, we just pray this prayer. We breathe this prayer to you, Father, because we know that you're faithful and that you're worthy. And so, Lord, today we just worship you. We thank you for hearing our voice. We love you, Jesus. Help us. Help us make our light shine this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.